I always thought I knew what this passage was about. When Dr. Graves and I looked at what scriptures from John we wanted to cover in a five-part series on the gospel according to John, we both agreed that the story of the raising of Lazarus had to be one of the five, a story found only in John's gospel. I thought back in late May when we first looked at these texts, well, I'll take that one. That one's easy. Because really, any of us can picture how Jesus would symbolically call a mere mortal like us out of the tomb of death and despair and raise us to walk a new kind of life. I, I could even picture Lazarus checking himself out of the tomb of Valley Hope up in Atchison, a drug and alcohol rehab center, and his family embracing him back into their home as a new man, one who could now live a sober and productive life. Or I could also picture Jesus sitting by the bedside of his friend Lazarus, and Lazarus in what you and I would call in modern speech a coma, and sitting there gently caressing his hand, thinking these are probably his final moments on the earth, and then Lazarus starting to breathe on his own and everyone being aghast that what they thought was the end was really just a turning point, a new life. I could even go so far as to imagine Lazarus already at the cemetery behind the stone in the tomb, bound up in white gauze like a mummy, and the women scurrying around, picking lavender and hyssop, and making a nice herb mixture because the stench of death was so strong. And then Jesus appearing and shocking everyone, making their jaws drop by inviting Lazarus to come out of that tomb and live again. A foreshadowing, I thought, of Jesus' own resurrection, which will be happening just a few more chapters later in the Gospel of John. Well, in the Gospel of John, there are seven signs, and this one is the seventh. It is the most dramatic display of Jesus' life-giving power. He's already called a paralytic to walk. He's already visited with the woman at the well, telling her everything she has ever done. And now we hear the climax of all the signs, this ultimate display of his miraculous power, calling Lazarus out of his tomb into life. And here, in the midst of this extraordinary show of miraculous spiritual power, Jesus looking more and more every day in the Gospel of John, more like a god, less like Mary and Joseph's son, the carpenter who used to build cabinets. Here, in that moment, we also hear a verse that makes Jesus sound extraordinarily human. Jesus wept. John is the only gospel who gives us this simple two-word verse. At the peak moment of John telling us that Jesus can even save someone from the dead, we learn also that Jesus is like a gentle friend who comes alongside us tenderly, compassionately, weeping with us, as would a good friend. You know, Mary and Martha 
and Lazarus, they were good buddies with Jesus. They hung out. They knew each other's secrets. They were the kinds of friends who knew each other's Myers-Briggs type. Every one of us needs someone we can call in the middle of the night when things are too rough for us to handle on our own. And Jesus and Lazarus and the two sisters, they shared that kind of trust and that kind of intimacy. Surely it would expand our faith, wouldn't it, if we could claim Jesus as being that kind of friend of ours, the one who weeps with us when there is nothing we can do in life about the pain except to weep. The passage of John that you and I most often see plastered across the United States of America is a different verse. It's John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But I often wonder if it would be better to paint this one on the billboards and hang it up on a poster board at a football game because it seems to me that this is the verse that everyone could relate to. In fact, I just heard this verse this past week. I was visiting right out here in the parlor with a man named Ferez. He is a Syrian refugee who just came to Kansas City about a year and a half ago. He had been a ceramics craftsman in Syria, but when his nation crumbled, he was invited to come here to seek political asylum, and now he is trying to craft a new life here, setting up a new business, a cleaning service that could service churches and schools and businesses. And while we were visiting, I said, do you have a family, Ferez? And he said, yes, and he took out his phone and he showed me a picture of his wife and his six children. And he pointed to two of the little girls, ages six and 12, and he said, these two are on dialysis every night for 10 hours every night. And I could hear Jesus weeping. If you like to needlepoint, you can find at the needlepoint store a canvas that you can stitch that says all things are possible, but if you were to make a pillow and place it into the lobby of the nursing home where my 95-year-old father-in-law suffers from an inoperable brain tumor that is robbing him of his dignity, I would suggest what you stitch would be the words, Jesus wept children this morning on the United States-Mexico border are drawing on manila construction paper using crayons and they are drawing pictures of grandmother and of brother and of the desert and of the cacti and one of them has just written on her paper Jesus Yoro Jesus wept because she does not know if she will ever see her mother again. On your way home today, stop by KU Hospital where a couple is meeting with an infertility specialist. They are looking for options to share their boundless compassion of love within their relationship to create a family. And if you read through the medical chart, it is pages long and behind the words you will see embossed on every page, Jesus wept or go on a trip, get on an airplane, fly across the globe and look out the window as you pass the ice cap and see how far back it has melted. The human destruction of God's creation is so obvious from that angle 
and you will see it scribbled in the clouds. Jesus wept. I suppose each of you could add a few places yourself where you see and hear Jesus weeping. Perhaps it is a place you have been just this past week where you knew that your heart was breaking and God's heart surely was too. It is good to know that the God of the world comes to sit with us and to be a friend and to weep alongside of us. But the New Testament scholar and disciple preacher Fred Craddock says that if there is one place where this verse Jesus wept doesn't make any sense, it is right in the middle of the story from John 11 that we just read. If Jesus was heartbroken about the news that his friend was dying, wouldn't he have taken the fast train to see his friend before he breathed his last? But instead, the gospel tells us that Jesus waited two, three, four days before he decided to get up and go and see Lazarus. Both Mary and Martha are frustrated. And they speak to him in the way that only friends can do, confronting him and saying, Jesus, if you had only come sooner, he might not have died. You can hear their resentment. You healed all those strangers, but what about your friend Lazarus? Here he is, and now he's gone. It makes no sense that Jesus would weep now, four days after all the casseroles have been eaten and the bunk cakes have been thrown out. Jesus shows up not to weep. Jesus comes to give new life, good news. He does not see this as a moment of despair, right? Because he knows that he is going to raise him to new life. He's the miracle worker. He's already worked six miracles, and here he is to try once again to teach them the difference between water and living water, between just breathing and really being alive. How many times must Jesus explain to them that eternal life is not what begins at the graveyard, but when one walks with Jesus, who is the resurrection and the life? But the disciples and the crowds and all of the family they always seem so clueless, so surely Martha and Mary failed to get it as well. When Jesus learns that Lazarus is in intensive care, he says, The Son of God will be glorified through this. John uses the word glory to refer to the death of Jesus. So something about the death of Lazarus the raising of Lazarus will lead to the pivotal moment in the Gospel of John when Jesus, too, is crucified and rises again. Jesus knows that when he raises Lazarus, it will stir up the authorities. They will be frustrated that he is gaining credibility with the masses. It is just one sign too many for them. Jesus should have stopped with six signs, but instead he begins a spiritual revolution, showing them a whole new way of living. Dr. Craddock suggests that there is another reason why Jesus weeps. He is greatly disturbed, the Bible says, he is deeply moved, 
And Jesus says to the sisters, where have you laid him? And the sisters say, come and see. And immediately he weeps. Throughout John's gospel, come and see is the invitation Jesus has issued to all who would become his disciples. Come and see is the invitation to faith in God. Jesus invites his disciples to come and follow, to come and be with him. And they say, where do you live? And he says, come and see. And then Nathaniel and Philip begin chatting. And one of them says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And the reply is, come and see. And a few weeks ago, we read about the woman at the well. And after she is changed and transformed by the love of Jesus, she goes back into her village and she says to everyone that she meets, come and see. Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. And now these two sisters turn the invitation back. And they look at Jesus and they say to him, Come and see. Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps because he will now choose to face the pain and the suffering, the humiliation and the agony that every single one of us eventually faces in this journey called life. He does not exempt himself from the tears of disappointment and the emotional agony of being misunderstood by those you love the most. Come and see. Jesus knows that if he calls Lazarus out of the tomb, he will pave the way for himself to walk into the tomb of his own death. He weeps this time for his own dread and his own agony. It is not just a story about Lazarus or about friendship. It is a story about our God who chooses willingly to enter into the pain of human life for himself. It is not a story about a family who lived a long time ago. It is a story about all of us in the human family saved by the one who goes right into the midst of the pain of our own lives. For we cannot rise with him if he does not die with us. Chaplain Egan works for hospice up in New England. She has written a book called On Living, where she recounts some of the poignant adventures that she has in her work with hospice. Oftentimes, she spends her days with a patient who is near death. One patient she visited frequently, her name was Ada. Ada was no longer verbal. Her hands were clenched up in a ball. She had not been able to communicate or to move for years. Her husband, Albert, was always seated by the window right next to Ada's head reaching out and stroking her sunken cheeks and feeding her melted ice cream from a spoon. Every time the chaplain visited, Albert would tell the chaplain the story about their four-year-old boy who died on Thanksgiving Day. 
He says, the day before Thanksgiving, we were preparing in the kitchen, and someone gave him the claws from the turkey. And he ran around the kitchen, squealing with delight and scratching everybody with the turkey feet. And then the next day, he died. And Albert still blamed himself. Oh, he knew it was meningitis, but he thought, I should not have given him the turkey feet. And every time he told the story of their little boy's death, he wept. And one day when the chaplain came by, she was tired. She was exhausted. She was wondering if she really should maybe get a different job, one that wasn't so draining emotionally. How could she continue to manage the pain? And on this day, Albert again told the story of his little boy and the turkey feet. And on that day, the chaplain wept. She wept for the little boy who died too soon and for the wife who lived too long. And when she began to wipe the tears on her face, Albert said, oh God, I'm so sorry for making you cry. And she said, it's okay. And he said, thank you for crying for my son. No one ever cries for him anymore except me. And when I die, there will be no one left to cry for him ever again. The God we love still weeps. It is the only path he knows to the joy of new life.